0: All right, take your Bible. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And here's another paradox, and it's an interesting one, I think. The faithful are the famous. The faithful are the famous. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, God speaks about ministers and our stewardship in the ministry. He says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So God is speaking here about the ministry that he's placed us in. And whether we're a college student involved in ministry while we're here, headed toward perhaps full-time ministry, or whether we are actually in that full-time ministry today, God speaks to us here about being a good steward of that ministry that he has given us. And part of the requirement of good stewardship is to be faithful. Now, faithful doesn't sound like fun. Famous sounds like fun. Being well-known sounds like fun. Uh, Being financially prosperous sounds like fun. Having a nice family sounds like fun. But sometimes faithfulness doesn't kind of grab us in any way to motivate us. You know, God is a lot of things. God is love. God is holy. God is just. God is merciful. God is all-powerful. God is everywhere. There's a lot of things, attributes, we call them, of God. But you know what the greatest attribute of God is? He's faithful in all his attributes. In other words... Uh, someone might say about me, you know, Brother Gads really loves me. Well, tomorrow I might not, <laughs> right? I mean, we might say of someone they love or, or they have mercy or, 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 or they're fair or something like that. But the truth is, you and I are not consistent like God is. When it says that God is love, he's always love. When, God, when it says God is holy, he's always holy. When it says that God is fair, he's always fair. The greatest attribute of God is the faithfulness of his attributes. I am the Lord, I change not. Of old hast thou laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same. Aren't you glad God's the same? He just doesn't change. We get tired of same old, same old. We get tired of the same meals, the same clothes, the same classes, the same this, the same that. But I'm glad that God is the same old, same old. I'm glad that God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. And so if we're looking for an attribute that we can latch on to, that we ought to be known for, that that we ought to say, man, if I'm going to work at anything, I'm going to work at being faithful. Be faithful, because the faithful Are the famous? How faithful are we? Three vital considerations this morning with respect to faithfulness. Notice, first of all, a qualification. It says here in verse 2 moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Remember, he's talking about the ministry here. He's talking about that which he has given to us with respect to the ministry, with respect to reaching people for Christ and baptizing them and then training them, discipling them to be like Christ. He's talking about the ministry, and he says, it's not optional that you would be faithful. It's not a seasonal job. It's not a suggestion that once in a while you try to be consistent. He says, no, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Remember, everything we have is a gift from God. Everything that we possess is something that God has entrusted to us. What hast thou that thou hast not received? Now, if thou dost receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. So everything we have is something God has given us and it's important that we take stewardship seriously because it's not really ours. It's his. He has gifted it to us. These opportunities that we have to go out into a community and share the gospel, the opportunities we have to lead people to Christ, the opportunities we have to serve bus children, or the opportunities we have to to reach a world for Christ, that's a gift from God. The talents we have, the, the abilities we have, they're a gift from God. I would think if we understand that, we should desire to be faithful. Daniel realized that. In fact, his enemies said the presidents and princes, they sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no occasion or fault for as much as he was faithful. He was faithful. It's a wonderful thing if a teacher calls you faithful. It's a wonderful thing if your pastor would say you're a faithful person. But would your enemies? With those that are trying to frame you? Those that are trying to destroy you? Boy, Daniel, even his enemies that were trying to wipe him out, said, we tried. We tried to find some inconsistency. We tried to find something that wasn't always the same. But Daniel was found faithful. It says that about Moses in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Moses was, a very, was very faithful in all his house for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. What will be spoken after you're gone? What will teachers talk about when they remember you 10 years after you graduate? Will they say, well, this rule in the handbook is because of, (laughs) we have some students like that. They could put their name by the rule. What will they remember about you? What will your mom and dad remember most about you? Long after you get married and go out on your own. What will your friends remember about you? What will your enemies remember about you? What will your job, what will the, 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 the people you worked with out there on the job in the community, what will they remember about you? What will be spoken after? They spoke about Moses' faithfulness long after he was gone. Faithful. We're not going to make it in the stewardship of ministry if we're not faithful. It's a qualification. But notice, secondly, a quitter. I've noticed something as I've traveled through life. I've never met anybody named Demas. Now, I don't know what the word Demas means. I don't, I've never looked up the name, but it's interesting that no one ever has named their kids Demas that I know of. I've never met anybody named Demas. I've never met anybody named uh, Named uh, Ahab or Jezebel either. But those are kind of obvious. There's none like unto Ahab, which didn't sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel's wife stirred up. People don't name their kids Jezebel. Even if they've never read the Bible, they don't name their kids Jezebel. But no one ever names their kids Demas. Why? Because what's remembered about him is his unfaithfulness. What's spoken of after Demas is Demas has has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Understand something as a Christian, quitting is not an option. You can't quit being a Christian. You're saved, you're stuck with it. You're going to be saved through all eternity, your salvation's eternal. And so you can't quit being saved. So why would we quit being the right kind of Christian? Why would we quit being faithful to the Lord? No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God brought you to this place in your life. He's not going to decide somewhere along the line, ah, I think I made a mistake. I, 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 I messed up. I shouldn't have saved that guy. I, I shouldn't have led him to Bible college. He just, he wasn't Bible college material. I, I should have never let him get married. He just, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't fit to be married. Whatever God is doing in your life, God's not going to quit on that. Whatever God is showing you is his will. He's not going to quit on that. He's not going to down the road say, oh, that was a mistake or I shouldn't have done that. No, God's calling, God's gifts are without repentance. He didn't give you a personality and some abilities to go out and make a ton of money. He gave you those things to be used for him, to be a steward. Not to quit on God and live for yourself. So we see a qualification, we see a quitter. But then notice we see a quest. The finish line should be our goal. Thousands of people start their race. The question is, who will finish? Many people get saved, but somewhere along the line, they they fall aside, they they, they don't continue, They, they uh, they don't go forward in their Christian life. The quest is to finish. Our goal ought to be like Paul, to be able to say, I fought a good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished my course I have glorified thee on earth, Jesus said. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Aren't you glad that on that cross Jesus cried, It is finished. I did it. I completed the work that you sent me to do. A finisher, to finish the race is the quest. Whatever the temporary uh, lap is that we're on right now, maybe it's, maybe it's finishing our one-year Bible. Maybe it's finishing our sophomore year. Maybe it's finishing college completely. Maybe it's, uh, you know, uh, 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 finishing strong uh, uh, in, in, in my work at, at the job. Whatever it is, but the quest ought to be to finish what's before us. In Long range to be able to stand before God, having finished the will of God in our life. Epaphras prayed for the church at Colossae, that they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God, having finished the entire work of God that he had for them. John Stephen Aguari was an Olympic athlete from the country of Tanzania. He was a marathon runner. He ran in the 1968 Mexico City Olympics. He was from a small little country that very few people knew about, but he had qualified for the marathon. As the marathon began, they lined up the runners there in the stadium at Mexico City. They were to run about four or five laps around the track, and then they would exit the stadium, and they would run the bulk of the 26.2 miles outside the stadium, through the streets of Mexico City, a course that was mapped out. They would come back into the stadium for the last several laps of the race, so that the fans and audience could could watch the finish, the start, and the finish of the race. The athletes lined up, and John took his place there among those Olympic runners. The gun sounded, and they were off. And of course, many had their favorites, and many thought this person would win or whatever, and so they watched very carefully as they positioned themselves in order as they began to run around the, the track, and there were always those that kind of take the lead and set the pace, and, and it was fun to watch them make several laps, but then they disappeared out of the stadium, out into the streets, and well, there were a few people out there that were along the route and cheering them on or giving them water or whatever they needed. Most of the people were not able to see what actually was happening out there on the race. During that race, John, Stephen Aguari, fell. He was bumped by another runner, and he fell. And as he fell, he, he fell to the pavement of the street and was badly injured. No broken bones, but bruised, bloodied, uh, several areas of his skin torn, his, his body twisted awkwardly as he fell, and he, he, he twisted some ligaments and sprained some things, but he got up. Some people came to his assistance, kind of bandaged up his wounds, and he continued on the race. Well, pretty soon, toward the end of the day, those first early runners of the marathon entered the stadium and people saw those in the lead and and it was contested, two or three, very close, and they began to run those final laps around the, the stadium track and people applauding as the gold medal winner came in and, and broke the tape and then the silver and then the bronze. And, and of course, they, they were all excited that these particular countries had won and so on. And, and uh, then other, other uh, runners came in quite a bit later as the marathon takes a while to finish. And pretty soon all had completed the race and They had the medal ceremony. The winner was given the gold and the national anthem for his country was played. Basically, it was the last event of the day and so the stadium emptied as people went their way for the evening. As the story is told by John himself, when he finally limped into that stadium, bandaged, bloodied, barely able to walk, much less run. There was hardly no one there. A few of the press still writing their story, sitting in those bleachers, completing their work. Maintenance people cleaning up the trash from the concessions. A few judges still lingering about, but primarily an empty stadium as he came in. He began to hobble around that track. And these few people who were there, they, they saw him and, and, and they, they went to the side of the track and they, they tried to encourage him, come on, you can do it, you can do it. And people began to run alongside of him to encourage him and, and, and help him. And, and finally, exhausted and completely out of any kind of energy, John, they, 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 re, they reestablished the tape and he, he fell across that tape in a heap on the track. Took a while to revive his body, and now the press was very interested to interview John Stephen Aguirre. One of the reporters asked him, He said, Why? Why did you do that? There was no way you could win. I mean, you must have known when you fell that, that you were out of it. I mean, there was no way that you could possibly win. Why did you keep on? Why did you keep running? Why did you, why did you try to limp around the track and get to the finish? John Stephen Aguirre, now in his 80s, he's been saved, by the way. We had a missionary here several years ago that told the story of John's salvation. But John said to those reporters back in 1968, He said, the country of Tanzania did not send me here to start the race. They sent me here to finish the race. Can I say to us as college students this morning, God didn't send you here to start the race. God sent us here to finish it. God didn't save you just so you could start being a Christian. He wants you to run the entire race and finish your life as a Christian. Serving God, being faithful to him. Because in the end, nobody remembers who won the 1968 Olympic Marathon. John Stephen Aguirre's story is well known around the world. He's a hero in Tanzania. In fact, the missionary, after he led him to Christ, did a a soccer event, and John was the guest of honor. And thousands, some 80,000 people came and heard the gospel. Because everybody knows John Stephen Aguirre. He's famous, not because he won. He's famous because he was faithful. And that qualifies you to be famous.